0: Okay, today is Thursday, June twenty second. All right, guys, we have the NBA draft going on in about thirty minutes or so at the time of this recording. But before, had some trades this week. Uh, yesterday on Wednesday, and then uh, one on uh, well, yesterday and then and today really uh were happening. We'll start with the Persingus uh, Persingas, uh p- trade first, the three way trade between Washington, Boston, and Memphis. Uh, great interview with Eli Savori coming on up up. Uh, next, uh, we'll talk to him about uh, the Memphis side of things, uh, John Morant some more, but then obviously uh, the Memphis side of this deal as well. But Justin, what is your uh, overall first impression about this trade? I mean, do you think this is a good landing spot for Porzingis?
1: Yeah, I think this is a good landing spot for Porzingis. I think Boston being there is going to help him out, but they did lose Marcus Smart, which is a big loss
0: for them as well. Yeah, no, it's – um. I think Washington did well in this position. Uh, just speaking on Washington's part, I think they did really well in this position. I mean, Porzingis actually had uh, his opt-in deadline at midnight uh, last night. So if he would have opted out of the Wizards, they would have gotten nothing out of him. So for them to trade him before he was able to, to opt out of his, um, you know, contract before you know before midnight last night was really good on Washington for you know basically not losing him for nothing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think I agree. Justin, I think Marcus Smart is going to be a good fit in Memphis. Uh, we don't really know what's going on with John Morant yet. Uh, he can take over. Yeah. Well, we'll think he's going to stay John Morant, hoping he'll stay out of trouble, but at least it's a good backup. And it also allows John Morant to not have to do everything now pretty much for the team. Um, Zach, what are your thoughts on like Boston in this trade? Do you think they might've actually won this trade of all three of the teams? Uh, I would say they probably got the best player of
2: the three. So typically in that case, the team that gets the best player wins the trade. I think that losing Marcus Smart is a loss though, because he is one of the leaders of this team. And he's one of those guys who thinks he's better than he is. And I, I know that sounds bad, but it's a compliment. You know, some guys, uh, they have irrational confidence. Marcus Fart's the king of irrational confidence. He's willing to shoot the ball from three-point range, 10 consecutive series if you leave him wide open. But he's an outstanding defender. Of course, he's been a defensive player of the year before and has been there through the ups and downs with Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown over the last four or five years or so. So I think that's going to be a loss. But I think this is a move that the Celtics made with the idea of going all in, adding another scoring option with Porzingis and not just relying on Marcus Smart to be a good defender. So I think the Celtics have another move up their sleeve. I know the Brogdon trade got uh, wiped away, but I I think Brad Stevens is intent on having a big offseason. They're not going to sit on their laurels. They're not going to sit on the fact they went to the finals last year, uh, went to the Eastern Conference finals this year. So I I think... The Celtics won the trade, all things considered. But I do think Marcus Smart is a loss for them.
0: I definitely think the Celtics won the trade here. I mean, Al Horford is definitely showing his age uh, this past postseason. So having Porzingis come in there for like a uh, come in for like a stretch front court players, huge. They did. I mean, losing Smart, though, effectively, they are having Derek White replace him (laughs) on offense or in the starting lineup, which is hardly a one to one trade in the Mm -hmm. what's up?
1: Yeah, decent replacement. Yeah, very. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's not definitely not uh, Marcus Smart though. Derek White's no Marcus Smart, so uh, defensively wise, it might not be much of a difference. But hardly of an offensive uh, one-on-one trade there uh, in the backcourt. But yeah, I mean, they also Boston also got two first-round picks. So they got Memphis's first-round pick tonight, uh, the 25th overall pick, and then a a first-round pick in 2024 as well, which was the Warriors' uh, pick that they gave the Memphis. So yeah, I mean I definitely think Boston won this trade and um, I'm happy to see Marcus Smart leave. I know a lot of people were kind of asking for him to leave, especially in Boston. I think he'll do great things in Memphis and then uh, you know, Washington too. They're not they're doing some things this offseason as well and it's I always love seeing uh Washington actually try to make some noise and become relevant again. Another news, uh Chris Paul originally uh traded to Washington, speaking of them. Uh eventually uh, just today was announced that he was traded to the Golden State actually for uh Jordan Poole along with some way later first round uh, picks. So I think the twenty twenty seven and like twenty thirty picks or something along with Jordan Poole were um sent to the Wizards. Uh, what do you guys think of this? Do you think this is a good place for Chris Paul in the Warriors, or do you think he would have been better in Washington, or even the Suns if he would have stayed in the Suns?
2: I think this is a good place for him. I think Golden State's going to be a dramatically different team, however, because this is a team that likes to play a lot of run and gun, transition, pull up threes. That's not Chris Paul's game. And it's kind of interesting because he and Steph Curry have been longtime rivals. So I'm interested to see how that tandem uh, works out. But... I don't mind adding in a veteran guy when you've got Klay Thompson who's getting older and you know Draymond's going to be probably out the door. I think this is going to be a different Golden State team than what we've seen over the last couple years. That may not necessarily be a bad thing because we just saw them lose in the second round of the playoffs this year. But you talk about a fall from grace. Jordan Poole at this time last year was on top of the world because he had a great finals, great postseason, four-year, $128 million contract. And now the pool party is off to Washington where last I heard it kind of gets cold in November and December. So he's not going to be having as many pool parties around there. So uh, I don't mind the Chris Paul acquisition for Golden State. I It makes them more interesting than just having, you know uh, – Jordan Poole and having what they currently have now. I think it's a better place for Chris Paul. He was not gonna be in Washington. Like Chris Paul at this point, the only thing left for him to do is win a championship. And that ain't happening with the Wizards anytime soon. So he was never gonna stay there. And it seemed like it was a mutual parting of ways with the Phoenix Suns. I I don't think Phoenix wanted him back either. They wanted Bradley Beal to have that kind of big three. They were a better team once Chris Paul got hurt. So I, I think just from a style standpoint, I don't think it was a match in Phoenix anymore. I'm gonna be interested to see what happens with Steph and Chris Paul out in Golden State with an aging Klay Thompson and an aging team. You know, this will probably be the oldest team in the NBA next year. So, uh, I, I'm I think this is probably the best place Chris Paul could have ended up.
0: Yeah, you mentioned the the pace discussion. I mean, Suns are a notoriously slow-paced team. That excuse me, yeah. that worked really well for this uh, for Chris Paul you know last year but it's completely different with the golden state warriors like you were saying they play at a very high pace and i don't know it'll be interesting to see if chris paul can keep up with that especially as you get into the playoffs where you know they're they're expected to play at a very high pace and very high level every single night and i'm curious to see if he's going to flame out by you know the second and third round and beyond if uh, as they go later into the playoff stages which is ultimately their hope and especially chris paul's hope warriors really gained i mean everything from this trade they didn't, they didn't really lose much i mean you you mentioned it zach with Paul. i mean he's who knows what he's up to now i mean he could show again next season but of course these playoffs these last playoffs he basically flamed out they, he was unplayable for most yeah. of the
2: playoffs not only did he just shoot poorly or whatever he they couldn't have him on the court without being a liability
0: yeah no i mean so warriors in this trade they gave up Paul. um Ryan Rollins, (laughs) a protected first round pick in 2030 and a second rounder in 2027. That's all the Warriors gave up for Chris Paul. So they definitely made out in this deal big time. And at the end of the day, Suns get Beal. We mentioned the Wizards obviously uh, got rid of Porzingis before he opted out. They got nothing for him. Uh, Boston, first two round picks, Porzingis to help out with Al Horford in the scoring on offense. Memphis obviously got Marcus smart. I mean, it's one of those kind of weird dynamics where like every team is kind of winning in these deals. Every team is getting, you know, better from the users. Always usually like a loser from, especially when all these trades are going on. Um, I guess it's like what five teams now in the mix or six teams, whatever it is uh, throughout the, throughout this whole week with all these trades going on, there's always at least one team that's kind of losing out and doesn't really seem to be the case uh, this time. And that's, Not something you don't really see often so it's interesting to see um nba draft tonight um all we all know when is going number one to the spurs but i think uh brandon miller and um uh, excuse me hoogerson is definitely going to be the number two and number three pick it kind of just depends on where they're going to go though and so we'll go from there i think um yeah we have um uh, who's picking second? Oh my gosh, Charlotte. Thank you. I'm drawing, I drew a blank. I know, I know. Uh, Portland's third, but I was right. completely drawing a blank on who was picking second. Who do you guys think is going second, and who do you guys think is uh, going third here?
2: I think it sounds think like Brandon. it's going to be Scoot Henderson now. Like from what I've heard over Man. the last couple of hours or so, it seems like the momentum's kind of changed. It was Brandon Miller at one point, but now I think people outside of Michael Jordan now that are part of the actual Hornets ownership seem to prefer Scoot Henderson. So I think it's going to end up being Scoot number two, Brandon Miller, number three.
0: Yeah. Justin,
1: what were you going to say? I think it's going to be uh Henderson going number two. Miller goes number three as well. That's pretty much the order it's going to be in.
0: Yeah. I mean, everyone's saying Scoot Henderson would be, would be a clear number one if it wasn't for Wendy Nyama coming in. Yeah. Um, very good in transition, super explosive with blow bus, blow by material, you know, gets to the hoop, hoop really fast. I know he's being compared a lot to Russell Westbrook, just with his athleticism and his competitive nature. Uh, Just like Westbrook, though, doesn't always have the best decision making and really can't shoot threes that well either. So that's going to be something that he's going to have to definitely improve on uh, going forward in the NBA. And then Brandon Miller, uh, most likely going to be going to uh, Portland again, bearing any trades that happened tonight at the time of this recording. Um, High percentage shooter. uh, Very, very good at scoring. uh, Very uh, versatile on scoring uh he's going to be seen as a top two offensive option long term on a good nba team defense definitely needs to work though um definitely has comparisons to like jabari smith jr and danny granger guys that were just very very good scorers but we're kind of a liability on defense so as far as brandon Miller goes that's something that he's going to have to um definitely uh improve on kind of a weird draft uh pacers jazz hornets Hold nearly one quarter of the picks, and ten teams own half of the selections. So it's kind of a lopsided draft this year in the NBA. Only a you know, less you know, quarter of the like I I said, quarter of the teams, uh, three teams or, or own a quarter, and only ten teams own half of the of the draft picks. So definitely a lopsided draft, and I'm excited to see what happens as we uh, head into the night and the trades that happen and what team gets uh, ultimately what player. Well, uh, other news this week: U.S. Open. Um Ricky Fowler research, uh resurgence, uh ab- among other things to talk about in the US Open. I think Ricky Fowler is finally back. Um first time he ever held a lead in a major going into a Sunday in his career, if I read that correctly. Um he would have had the outright lead if he not don- if he didn't miss a putt, uh a really short putt, actually, a putt within four feet on the last hole uh on Saturday night. Um but yeah, do you guys think Ricky Fowler's back and what was your overall impression uh of the tournament this weekend? I know uh of yeah, course, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh
2: Rick, I think Ricky Fowler might be back. I mean, his play has been pretty solid these last few weeks or so, not only what he did at the US Open, but he's had uh three top 10 finishes this year and he hadn't had a top 10 for quite a while before that. He's starting to play well at the right time and you'd like to think that he's going to start contending in majors again. And this wasn't just a one-off. Uh, the course, I think, was the big story of this entire tournament because it was very corporate. Uh, you could hear not a whole lot of noise. You know, Ricky pulled out a long par, I believe, on the 12th hole on Saturday, and people treated it like it was a routine par. Uh, the, the atmosphere felt very uncountry club-like or most buttoned-up country club that you could possibly imagine. Did not feel like a major championship at all and people complained about the greens themselves, and you saw Wyndham Clark, his last tee shot, went way right. I mean, way right, and it should have been out of bounds in pretty much every course you could imagine, but the fairways are so wide, somehow it stayed in the fairway, and he was able to par the hole without any sort of problem. So this was not a great week for the Los Angeles Country Club. I know they've got a U.S. Open scheduled again in 2039, but I don't think the current golfers are necessarily looking forward to going back there, or if most of those guys even go back there. This this was not a great course setup. It was not really a place that should have hosted the U.S. Open, and it's a shame that that ended up being kind of the story of the tournament rather than Wyndham Clark, named after a hotel, uh, getting just his second career win after getting his first career win just a couple um, weeks ago. And so you, you never want the course to be the story above the actual play itself.
0: Yeah, I um I think. They bought out like fifty tick the fifty percent of the tickets or something the L A Country Club something like oh, that. Oh, like was more the-
2: than that.
0: Yeah, I don't because I think they just what was the reason for that? Like I don't really never I never really got the reason why they did that. They did not. They wanted well, like they gave to, one. They just wanted to select. They have like more of a selection of the people that were allowed to come. I, I wasn't really. Now that's the thing. Like I heard, I don't know. I heard fifty percent of the tickets they bought, but it could have been more used at SAC. I I don't know, but they never really gave a reason as to why they did that. I still don't really get why they did that. I don't know if it's just because it's a very selective club and they wanted to kind of limit the amount of people that could, you know, walk on their course and maybe they were afraid of it being damaged. I don't really know, but that's something you know, when it comes back in a couple of years, something they definitely want to reconsider. Cause like you said, Zach, I mean, there were times that, you know, amazing shots and just, it was crickets. It, times that would be otherwise haulers at other tournaments, you know, master PGA, whatever just was not nearly loud I mean you could tell on TV it was just kind of a dead zone there and the players felt it too I mean you heard comments about it uh, throughout the whole week just about how quiet was, how you know how quiet it was and just how there really was no you know atmosphere around there from but, other
2: players it wasn't just the fans the players yeah. and they come out and say that it wasn't necessarily a great atmosphere so 4500 tickets were made available to the public. 4,500, that is an incredibly low number for a golf yeah. tournament that regularly gets, you know, 50,000, 60,000 people on a low day. So that just goes to show you that the real golf fan got priced out of this event.
0: Yeah, definitely. Justin, you have any uh, comments on the PGA or a lot the US of cri- Open?
1: Yeah, a lot of criticism about the course. Obviously, that's pretty much the main story. But uh, I think Ricky Fowler is back. I think Ricky Fowler had a good win this week at the U S open. I think he's going to, uh, I think he's going to contend in the next, uh, in the next tournaments here.
0: Yeah. Um, he hitting the ball really well. Mm-hmm. I mean, arguably even better than he was doing when he would have his peak in 2014. Uh, not just the U S open this year too. People forget. I mean, he had uh, six top 10 finishes this year in the PGA tour. Now, obviously we know a lot of the top golfers were away from live. So with live, so there's a little bit of an asterisk there, but still, I mean, top 10 in the PGA and strokes gained total top 10 in strokes gained on approach shots. I mean, I think he's back. This version of Ricky Fowler, definitely more mature, definitely not afraid to lose as much as I'm, I'm hearing a uh, definitely more confident and definitely more just poised in his game. And so it'll be exciting to see if he can actually come back and who knows, maybe he can, uh, you know, make some, you turn some heads in the open coming up here uh, in, uh, in Ireland. So, okay, great. Um, new segment. We're going to try out new week's resolutions. Uh, we're going to say what we, what we or Someone else in the media, whether sports or not did wrong this week and what we need to, what they need to do better. Uh, I know we're going to be trying it out, but Justin, do you have one for this week? Who's, uh, who's your week's uh, new week's resolution this week?
1: My new week's resolution is the, Quarterback rankings, obviously, from ESPN. Obviously, putting. Okay. Uh...
2: Mm-hmm. All right. Well, where that? they? Zach.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, oh. We can cut it. It's fine. Yeah. It's, Zach, it's who un- is your new know. week's resolution?
2: Who? Uh, My new week's resolution is everybody calls Rory McIlroy a choker. Like, come on, guys. Rory McIlroy's won four major championships, and I know since that time, since his last major in 2014, he's finished in the top 10 19 times, finished in the top 5 10 times. You don't do that if you're not one of the best golfers on the tour, if not the best golfer on the tour. His driving ability is ridiculous. He would have won the U.S. Open Sunday if he could have made a putt at all, and that's something that he's got to do better. and He's got to start closing out some tournaments on Sunday because he had the lead going into Sunday at the Memorial and he had the lead going into Sunday at the Canadian Open and didn't win either one of those. So these are more missed opportunities for me rather than saying Rory McIlroy's a choker. If a guy was a choker, he wouldn't have won four majors and he wouldn't constantly be in contention by now. So uh, all those people that just like to throw that narrative out there, not just for Rory McIlroy, but for athletes in general that have won stuff, they can
0: cram it. I'm going to go with Chris Paul uh, finding a home. (laughs) Uh, We all know Chris Paul drama this week uh, first got traded to uh, Washington, uh, the wizards. And then now is being sent to um, the complete opposite end of the country in uh, San Francisco with the uh, uh, golden state. He found out uh, that he was being traded to Washington on a plane ride to New York city to do a good morning America uh, (laughs) interview. And then, uh, just literally days later, Washington ended up shipping him back out. Like I said, across the country, literally to San Francisco for uh, Golden State. So that's my new new week's resolution for Chris Paul. Find you know just find out where you're gonna live next year and uh you know get ready for the move and hopefully it's uh you get some clarity and you don't get traded again. But I think as we alluded to earlier, he's he's gonna stay in in the Warriors uh, franchise. I think he's gonna do a good job there. Just needs to work on his pacing a little bit. All right, well. We're going to head to Eli Savori, talk about the Grizzlies, a lot to talk about. Um, originally did the interview on Wednesday, uh, and then a couple hours after trade went down uh, for the Marcus Smart trade, as, as we alluded to earlier as well. Brought him back on today uh, to give his initial reactions to that. But great interview with him. Uh, we'll get to him right now, and uh, we'll be back after Eli then. Okay, we now head to the Bluff City to talk to recurring guest Eli Savori from Memphis's 98.5 FM 56 WHBQ, host of Mornings with Greg and Eli, 7 to 10 Central Time on the station. How are you doing, Eli? Long time no talk to. Yeah, I'm doing good, man. Good to be back. All right. Well, Eli, at this point, I'm sure you're tired of talking about it, but I'm going to ask <laughs> anyhow because people want to hear all about it. John Morant. Biggest elephant in the room right now in the NBA offseason. Um was his suspension, 25 game suspension, was it too much, too little, or was it just about right? You
3: know, I to me, I I thought it was going to be a little bit less than that. I was I was kind of expecting right around the 20 game mark, but I, I I think 25 is fair, and we'll see if he ends up deciding to appeal it and maybe gets it even reduced down to 20 games. Um, but at this point, it doesn't seem he, he may want to do that. But um, I mean, the, the guy made a huge mistake um, and he did it twice. He not only did once and got suspended eight games for that and then went and talked to Adam Silver, um, basically told him he would, wouldn't would do it again and then goes and does the exact same thing again. So um, even though there were no laws broken, per se, um that's just something in the league they're not going to tolerate is kind of the 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 use of guns or the kind of glorification almost of guns. And especially when you've done it once and told the commissioner um, that you made a mistake and you understood from that mistake and then go do it again, that's just not going to be an acceptable thing for the NBA to, uh, to and they're going to make sure they, they're t- trying to teach him the lesson at this point.
0: Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I know a lot of people, People are on both sides, and, I, and I'm sure those in Memphis are probably on the side. It should be less games, but then I think the national perspective is also is, is more. It should be more. I mean, when Adam Sam uh, Adam Silver came out uh, just as the NBA finals were starting, in saying that this big announcements coming about John Morant, there's been more evidence and all this other things. I think a lot of people thought it might even be a full season suspension. I think that was what a lot of people were, were kind of suspecting and wrapping their brains around and getting ready to hear that kind of news. And I think a lot of people are surprised that it's actually only 25 games. And it's interesting to hear that you're actually thinking it should be less and surprised that it's not less. Uh, I know Tamika Trimangolo from uh, you know the director of the uh, MBPA, the National uh, Players Association. Uh, she thinks 25 is way too rough. Uh, it should be more towards like 16, like double what it was in March. And so I, I think you guys are on the same page. And I think it's, uh, what, 30 days now that they have to uh, appeal this decision, uh, him and his team, uh, John Morant, is that correct?
3: Yeah, yeah, they've got I, – I believe it is 30 days. And that, to me, like the people who acted like it was going to be a full season or even half a season, there's just no way the Players Association would ever possibly stand for that. And, and this is a weird situation. This is something that we have not seen before in the NBA – But again, a a rule or a law was not broken. So to try and suspend a guy for not breaking a law and not technically breaking anything really that is in the CBA. You know, there's things about guns Mm -hmm. in the locker room there, which we've seen with um, uh, Gilbert Arenas and Javaris Crittenden and all that stuff. But there's not any kind of rule necessarily about just having a gun. And so when you've not broken any laws and you've not broken any actual hard, fast rules of the NBA, it's really hard to try and suspend somebody for half a season or certainly a full season. The Players Association would absolutely lose their mind because this is setting the precedent. This is for all of those players that going forward, if you are pictured with a gun or whatever. Now, we still don't know what would happen if somebody was out hunting and they have a gun or whatever. And and that's again, that's where this whole slippery slope comes in is what if a guy posts a picture of himself in a shooting range with a gun or somebody's out hunting and they have a gun, right? Because in the end, all John Morant had here was a gun in his possession. He was not shooting it. He didn't do anything else other than he was pictured with a gun. So this is setting the precedent and those players and the players association I don't think wants this to be the type of thing of this many games over just having a gun in your possession.
0: Well, I think that's the whole argument of the players association. I have it on my phone right here. Just some past examples of what they're, what they're pointing to be much lesser uh, suspensions for even higher offenses. Really. I mean, you look back in February, 2018 with Willie Reed, the uh, domestic battery charges that he faced, he only had a six game suspension then. And then you go to Darren Coll, uh, yeah, Darren Collison. Excuse me. Back in October of 2016, another domestic, another misdemeanor domestic battery charge. That was eight games. And then uh, Jeff Jeffrey Taylor back in November 2014, another domestic violence incident. Uh, he was suspended 24 games, even still less than John Morant's 25. So I think they're citing these other instances that happened in the past where they've had, um, you know, less games for even more uh, far more offensive uh offenses and uh, i think that's what they're kind of alluding to at this point right
3: yeah and i understand you know obviously the repeat offender thing here plays a big part again doing the exact same thing that you did before and that you met with the commissioner basically it told him you weren't going to do anymore that plays a big part in this but also, again, you're talking about those in those are laws being broken. Those are guys being arrested. Those are charges being filed where in here there's no laws being broken. So I can understand both sides But Adam Silver, uh, he does, especially in the society we live in today. We, he doesn't want anything to do with guns. He wants to. to He doesn't want the NBA's image to have anything to do with guns. He doesn't want the NBA's image to have anything to do with you know, quote unquote, thuggery. I mean, he wants that removed from the league. But so I could understand why you're wanting to make sure you make your point and send this message. But then I also still understand if John Morant and the NBA Players Association want to say, listen, he didn't break a law. Like 25 games more than a quarter of the season for not breaking a law is extremely uh, penal to any player in the league when you call, talk about the money that is costing him.
0: Yeah, and I, the, the other instances I mentioned in the past, that was also with David Stern, who was known to be a lot more, a lot harsher of a commissioner than Adam Silver. Adam Silver's known to be a player's commissioner uh always out for the players always looking out for the players and i think that has a lot to do with it in this incidence uh as well um i think he's just really looking forward looking you know to keep the image of the nba really uptight and i think that's actually going to end up ending up helping john morant him being such, such a players commissioner i think this end up i think this really will end up being uh brought down uh to probably like 16 games i think what the uh, players association is asking for it's about 16 games i think that's fair i think it's a new age too. back from 2014, 16, 18, uh, the past instances I was mentioning, it's just a new age. You really just can't do that. Social media is a lot bigger than it was back then as well. And just a lot of differences, uh, since, uh, those, those past times I brought up, but let's go back to, uh, what you said about his past, uh, incidences, John Morant himself. Uh, do you, Adam Silver said that though, that his past, uh, Crimes, Well, not crimes, So his, his past issues that he's had played no role in this decision that they made here last month, or, or I'm sorry, a couple weeks ago. Do you believe in that? I mean, back, uh, you know, back, la- uh, you know, last July punched a 17 year old boy, uh, then also threatened a mall security on that same day. Uh, a couple months later, altercations with the high school volleyball game, uh, beginning of, beginning of this year, he had, a uh, altercations with Shannon Sharp at a Pacers game, I believe it was Uh, later this month. You know the red, the famous red laser incident with the Indiana Pacers. uh, I think a lot of the Pacers players are still saying that was a gun that the laser came from. But yeah, I mean Adam Silver saying that none of these past times that that Morant was in trouble had anything to do with this pass rolling, and I I don't really believe in that. Do you believe in that? And do the fans believe in that? And do do the Grizzlies organization even believe in that?
3: You know, I I don't know that those other things played a part. I, I think maybe the Pacers won the altercation after the game and their accusation that they thought it was a gun, even though the NBA investigated that and they said they could find no evidence that there was a gun. The, the bottom line is when you have somebody accused of having a gun and they say no, and you investigate it, you don't, but then you have two further incidents where that person has a gun well, now you're thinking, OK, well, maybe there was a gun that night. If if this person is having constantly has a gun and the guy he was with, we did not see his friend in the video um, at the nightclub in Denver. But we see him. He's the guy whose account this one was on, who he's always with. Um, he was the one who was directly involved with the Pacers in that post game incident who was banned from the arena for the rest of the year after that incident because he was kicked out of that game originally and he was out there after the game. So if you're thinking, okay, when he's with this guy, he has guns. When this guy got in an altercation, this other team says there was a gun or they think it might have been a gun. That one I think could have played a part in it. I don't think the stuff with the pickup game where he punched the 17-year-old, I don't think the thing at the mall played any part in this because – I don't think the NBA is taking any time to investigate those things and find out what's true and not true, but the one with the Pacers, that was a game. That was something the NBA was directly involved in and had to investigate. So I, I think that very well could have played a little bit of a part in what Adam Silver's decision was.
0: Yeah. Last question about Morant, and then we'll we'll move on to the Grizzlies as a whole. Um, Adam Silver said he, felt lied to. And I don't really know what he means by that, to be completely honest. I mean, back in March, uh, Morant said that drinking had to do with his bad decision making as as to why he brought out the gun and put it on Instagram and all that. And he was true. And that probably was the reason I think drinking just made him, you know, just stupid that night. Just to be uh, frank, I don't think he really lied to Adam Silver in that moment. Why do you think Adam Silver said that he felt so lied to when he really just, it was just something stupid John Morant did through drinking?
3: Well I, I just I think that Adam, Adam Silver met with John ja Moran about that first incident to to let him know that this is not acceptable. While you are not being charged with anything, you are nothing has happened to you from the law, this is not acceptable. We are not accepting our players just having guns and showing them on social media and I think John ja, probably told him and, and made it clear that, yeah, I get that. I understand that. I, I won't do it again. And then, uh, what, two months later, or I don't know exactly what the timeline was, around two months later, he did it again. So I if, if if I'm Adam Silver, I 100% feel lied to. Like, you you told me you got our message from the eight-game suspension. You weren't going to do it again, and you immediately went and did it again for no reason whatsoever, you're sitting in a car and like it just there. It makes no sense. I mean, it, it's an idiotic move by John Morant, and I, I can see where Adam Silver is like, dude, you just told me a couple months ago that you get it that your guns are unacceptable in our league, and you went and did it again. What do you yeah. think
1: comes out of the suspension with John Morant? Uh,
3: I I think. Hopefully, Ja gets it now. Like, you it, it, you always say, like, after the first time, my thought was, well, Ja wouldn't possibly be dumb enough to do this again. Like, nobody would. Like, you think, okay, because there's no point to it. Like, you're not doing anything other than showing a gun. And so, but then when he does it again, you're like, oh, okay, well, clearly the, the first one didn't set in with him. Um, I mean, that first one probably cost him the All-NBA team. Which cost him forty million dollars, basically. So, if a forty million dollar mistake doesn't teach you a lesson, you start wondering. Like, because then when you do it again, you're like, "Oh wow, forty million dollars was not did not register with him." So, you out of this one, I hope that a, another he'll he'll lose right around seven million dollars off this um, suspension. You hope all of this adding up that somebody that something clicks in his head or somebody can get in his head and say like, listen, dude, you are throwing a lot away right now. You cannot do these stupid things. And and hopefully that's what comes out of it is that he learns his lesson and understands like, I have a golden ticket. John Morant, with no further mistakes, playing the rest of his career in the NBA, um, on the track he's on, he'll make on the court Probably over half a billion dollars. That's not counting Nike or anything else. I mean, he's got a chance in his career to make nearly a billion dollars. You would hope that something would register and something would click out of this and go, "Yeah, I'm. I've got too much on the line here to keep making just dumb mistakes."
0: Yeah, you said forty million. I think after it's all said and done, I I heard more like fifty to sixty million will be lost in all this happening Uh, I mean that's yeah I agree I think at the end of the day I, I just think Adam Silver thought that he felt disrespected he felt his office was disrespected I think I think he looked at it as John Morant not really taking uh the slap on the wrist seriously enough and not really taking his office seriously enough and I think that's all ultimately why he went with the harsh 25 game uh suspension but we'll see what happens right we'll see if it gets down uh the players association can get that down at all and he'll be back earlier next season than we thought but let's actually talk about the Grizzlies right now. Um, first in the Southwest division last year, um, second in the West overall. Uh, had the fourth highest point differential average of the whole league last year. Um, only relevant that we talk about the draft first coming up tomorrow night at the time this is recording. Um, Grizzlies have a first round pick, 25th pick overall. Desperately need a perimeter player on both ends, a shooter as well as a perimeter defender. Given that they uh, they're drafting twenty five right now, what do you see them doing, Eli? Do you see them drafting up at all, or if they don't draft up at all, who's the best available name right now on the trap board for
3: Memphis? You know, they're uh, the the th- their history. Zach Kleiman, since he has become the general manager. The only first round draft pick that he has taken that he didn't trade to get was John Moran at number two. Generally, there his mo has been he targets a player and he does whatever he has to do to trade up if he feels that need in order to get him. Um, so just based on track record, you would think that they probably make a trade, whether it's if they if there's somebody they've targeted, they think they got to get up to get, They'll trade up if they can't make that move um, and they can't get the person they really want. I could see them trading out of the first round because they really only have one roster spot available. And I don't know that they want to if they're not going to just fill that with a first round pick who doesn't isn't the guy they want. Um, If they were to by chance stay at 25, you know, and and if you look at the mock drafts, a couple of the guys that come up are uh, Brandon Podjemski from Santa Clara who certainly fits their need. Uh, Dariq Whitehead out of Duke, who was didn't have a great year at Duke, but was a very highly rated recruit. And the one thing he did do at Duke well was shoot three-pointers. He was over 40% from three-point range at Duke. Um, there's no doubt. The, the biggest need on this team, the, the the main need, they have to replace Dylan Brooks. They, it, it's they, you know Unless somehow things completely change, Dylan Brooks isn't coming back. What do they need to do to replace Dylan Brooks? They got to get a shooter who's better than him. You may not get a defender as good as him, but if you get a shooter that's better than him and doesn't take as many ill advised shots as Dylan Brooks, um, that's how you do it. That's probably not going to come through the draft. They would love to make a trade. They would love to get OG Ananobi from Toronto. They tried at the trade deadline last year, but we don't know that Toronto is going to want to move him if it's not him. I don't know who that is out there. You know, there are some other guys that, that you would certainly, and we don't know who's going to become available. This could be a crazy off season um, around the NBA, but it, it, they would, I think trade wise and getting a veteran is the way they would love to replace Dylan Brooks, but with a trade, it's always, you know, dependent on that other team being willing to make that move.
0: Yeah. Things stay the same right now, the way they are, Grizzlies will have $12.2 million in non-taxpayer mid-level exemption at the disposal. So not a whole lot to play with. Uh, I heard a lot about signing signing, and trading with Dylan Brooks, so, you know, sign and trade kind of deal. Have you heard anything about that? I know OG Abenobi is definitely a name the Grizzlies have been looking at. They looked at him last year even with Mikkel Bridges. I know Mikkel Bridges is kind of off the table right now. I think he's pretty much settled in Brooklyn, but... Um, yeah, I mean, any any wind of a sign-and-trade deal with Dylan Brooks? Bring him back for just, just the purpose of trading him? I,
3: I think the only way it becomes a sign-and-trade, I think, is if there's a big trade that were happening um, around the league where teams needed other uh, the Grizzlies to get involved, basically, for salary cap purposes and salary purposes as far as moving contracts around. Then I think the Grizzlies could get in maybe a three-team deal or a four-team deal where somebody needs a big contract to move. And and obviously that if if it would require whoever Dylan wants to sign with to not have the cap space available to sign him. Um, if they don't have that, sure. then yep. then they're gonna need the Grizzlies to get involved as a sign and trade. But I, I think that could become something of a, a bigger deal. You know, the, the thing with OG Ananobi that becomes weird is The Grizzlies assistant coach, Darko Ryakovich, just got the Raptors head coaching job. So he goes up there knowing exactly what the Grizzlies feelings are about OG Ananobi. He knows every Grizzlies player on the roster extremely well. I don't know who he likes or doesn't like for sure. Um, Obviously, the Grizzlies probably know more about who he likes, who he doesn't like, maybe out of their young players. But he also knows the Grizzlies want Ananobi bad, so he could tell his management, hey, They want this guy really bad. Make sure you take advantage of that and get as much out of it as you can if we are going to trade Ananobi. So there's a lot of moving parts there that make that deal a little bit more uh, difficult now because a guy from your organization is now the head coach in that organization.
0: Are Steven Adams, Tyrese Jones, Brandon Clark, and Luke Kennard, are they pretty much uh, non-tradable at this point?
3: No, I, I think that when you look at it, I think the only guys on this team that are untradeable are Ja, Jaron Jackson Jr., and Desmond Bain. I think other than that, um, anybody is tradable. Brandon Clark is difficult to trade because he's got an Achilles injury and he's not going to be ready for the beginning of the year. And anybody coming back off an Achilles injury, that's that's a little difficult. But Tyus Jones is the best trade asset the Grizzlies have as a guy who has proven to be worthy of being a starting point guard in the NBA. Who's on a very affordable contract for a starting point guard? And that contract is only one year remaining. So um, to me, Tyus Jones, if they get a tra- if they make a trade to replace Dylan Brooks at the three, I would be surprised if Tyus Jones is not involved in that trade. Um, and, and the thing from the Grizzlies' perspective, the way they look at it, is uh, they sh- to me, they should look at it. Tyus Jones, while you want him when John Morant is out to start the year. You, at the end of the year, when you get into the postseason where it all matters, Tyus Jones, if John Morant is there, which you expect him to be, Tyus Jones is going to be playing 10 to 15 minutes a game. The three guy that you could get by trading him, he's going to play 30 to 35 minutes a game, maybe more in the postseason. So if you could replace a 10 to 15 minute guy with a 30 to 35 minute guy, you do that every every time. And then if you trade Tyus Jones, the hope would be you use the mid-level exception to go get a veteran point guard, a backup guy who could come in and he can fill in for Ja for those 25 games. You're in those 25 games or whatever it ends up being, you're gonna be relying on Jaron Jackson Jr. and Desmond Bain anyway. Um Desmond Bain last year was the de facto backup point guard when Ja was out he can fill minutes at the at the point guard position needed. So to me, the net out of it all, to Tyus, getting rid of Tyus, while Tyus is great and he's been awesome for this team, if you can get something for him that improves the three position, if you get a starter at the three position, to me, you 100% should use Tyus Jones to do that.
0: Yeah, let's talk about Desmond Bain. You just brought him up a little bit ago. If, if, if the Grizzlies can keep both John Morant uh, and Jared Jackson on the court. I mean, of course, John Morant, keep him out of trouble with the league. And then uh, Jaron Jackson has to stay out of trouble with you know foul trouble. Is, is that three along those two along with Desmond Bain? Is that enough of a trio to actually make a title run? Or do they actually do need more like you were just alluding to with maybe trading Tyrese Jones to get that fifth option?
3: or fourth or fifth I think those three when you when you consider the fact that how young all three of them are I mean we're still talking about guys who are 24 and younger um, who are you know they are not none of them are in their prime theoretically yet I think that threesome is good enough with the right parts around him and I think that's the whole key is what are those parts I, you need a shooter you need shooting around this this group there's no doubt um, Desmond Bain's a great shooter. Ja is, you know, his three-point shooting has been up and down. Jaron is a good three-point shooter, but to me, he needs to be making his living in the paint at this point and then shooting the occasional three. You want to be able to have guys who could spread the floor, open up the lane for Ja to do his driving, for Jaron to work in the paint, and, 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 and another shooter to take attention away from Desmond Bain. But I, I think those three guys... As they move forward, when they get, you know, two, three years down the road, when they're all getting to the, you know, if you look at the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray and Jokic, they're getting into that 25, 26 range. That's when you, I think you could have that chance to make that leap when all of those guys get to, you know, two, three, four years down the road when they're theoretically entering their prime. I think that trio is good enough with the right parts around them to actually win a championship.
0: Even better than the uh, Nuggets, you think? I mean, Nuggets are going to be. Well, I, I mean, no, let's, listen, let's let's I
3: go mean, there. The, the, the Nuggets are really good. Obviously, those two guys are really good. But the NBA, so much of it is, are you healthy at the right time? And the Nuggets are in a real salary cap struggle. They've got that starting five locked up for the next couple of years, but Bruce Brown is going to be leaving. You know, they and they only played three guys off the bench. In the playoffs, Bruce Brown was one of them and he was really, really good. Christian Brown looks like a heck of a young player. And then Jeff Green's a free agent who they probably will bring back as a veteran, but they've got to figure out ways. They have no ability to really pay anybody anything to add to that roster. So, you know, and and then it comes down again what if Jamal Murray gets hurt again? You know, if Jokic were to miss some time. The NBA, so much of it is about health when you get to the postseason, but when it's you know, when you only got two guys and you have a very much a lack of depth, it becomes difficult. Is Denver really good when fully healthy? Yes. They're really good when fully healthy. Are the Grizzlies better than them? I don't think they're better than them. Can the Grizzlies compete with them? Yeah, I think they can, especially if, if they're fully healthy, but yeah, it's, it's so much of it determined what can Denver add to that roster around those guys? Um, and then how healthy anybody is when it gets to the postseason.
0: Yeah. And, Even just as of last year, really, I think we really have seen a change in the NBA structure from like super team era, you know, the team that has the three best players going on to win it. uh, I've always kind of labeled it as predictive. I think that whole era of the NBA is over. Uh, So even next year, Nuggets going into it, probably the favorite team to win it all. It's not going to happen that way. I think it's proven that in the last couple of years at the NBA. I mean, you don't see these super teams anymore or the teams that were expected to win it go on i mean you look at the heat this year i mean they barely even made the made it past the play-in tournament and they ended up going to the finals so i think it's great i think it really makes it any team's game and i think the west next year is going to be a lot like it was uh last year where it's going to just kind of be this war zone every single night where i mean what was it this year even like i think going into the playoffs like what a month from the playoffs i think eight teams were still viable to make the playoffs from the bottom, you know, the bottom eight. So I just think it's kind of amazing. I, you know, it definitely just shows that the men, the Grizzlies def, definitely won't have a chance to compete against the Nuggets, especially if the Nuggets, unfortunately, you know, wouldn't be able to stay healthy. And then the Grizzlies were able to stay healthy. Right.
3: Yeah. I mean, listen again, I mean, you look at around the West, there's the Nuggets obviously are, are good and are going to be good. We have the best player in the league or at least one of the best players in the league, you're going to be really good. Um, You look at what the Grizzlies have. Sacramento is a really good young team. Oklahoma City is a young team that's up and coming. We know the Lakers have LeBron and Anthony Davis. We'll see what they're able to do, but we saw what they did this year once they put some pieces around them. If the Clippers were to keep Paul George and Kawhi Leonard both healthy – what might they be able to do? We'll see where Chris Paul ends up. We know what the Nuggets now, or the Suns now have, when you've had Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, and you just add another superstar-type player or all-star-type player uh, to them and Bradley Beal. Um, you know, it, it, the, the West is an absolute gauntlet. Um, you know, if, if New Orleans were to get Zion healthy and he's there, you know, can, and what can what might they be? Like, the West is extremely difficult year in and year out. Um, Where do the Grizzlies rank in that? Again, it's, it's it's tough, but the Grizzlies, the last, and that's not even mentioned, by the way, Golden State, who is the perennial team, but the Grizzlies, the last two years in the postseason have not been healthy. That's been the unfortunate part. They have not been eliminated from the postseason with their full roster. Can they get to the postseason, be fully healthy, and see what happens? That remains to be seen.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's talk about the roster a little yeah. bit more. Uh, let's talk about Sire Williams. I mean, what, what what do fans think about him? I mean, he had such potential coming out. His rookie year uh, wasn't very exciting. I think he let a lot of fans down, and then even slumped more in his sophomore year. You could argue. I mean, what what are fans? What what are the fans in Memphis specifically saying about Sire Williams? Do they want to give him more of a chance or? are they just kind of done with him at this point him not being able to perform
3: well the yeah you know, i mean his rookie year it was interesting cuz he the start of the year he was not good then he missed some time with an injury and when he came back and he actually was thrown into the starting lineup by need he was he he had a good run he was he 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 played well they won a bunch of games um he kind of just did what he needed him to do he made some threes um, he didn't take a bunch of shots, but when he was counted on, he, he made some this past year was just kind of a wasted year for, for Zaire. He just never, it never got going. He had injuries Then he could just, he couldn't make a shot. I mean, he, and he just lost all confidence and it's hard when you're only getting a few minutes a game. So, you know, you're only getting, you know, a few shots a game. Then and you're missing them, then you start putting more pressure on yourself. I gotta make every one I take because I'm only getting a couple opportunities. You know, then he got sent down to the G League, and I do the play-by-play for the G League team. And down there he played well, um, but he wasn't, he still didn't shoot the ball well. He just never got confidence in his three-point shot. And he needs to get that confidence because they need him to be a three. Point shooter. That's one of the big things. And he, he's got athleticism to do a lot of other things. He can be a heck of a mid-range player, but they need him to just knock down threes at least a at, you know a good a decent rate. And this year, it just never happened. And I think this off season, he just he's got to get confidence back. And and then if he's, I think he'll be back a part of the rotation. I think he can be a contributor for the team. Twenty under twenty-six percent three
0: point shooting uh last season for the grizzlies uh 25.8 so if, <laughs> if they wanted to be a three point shooter he has a lot more work to do uh going into the next season and yeah we'll see i mean 10th overall back in 2000 2021 i think he was picked by the pelicans right if i if i believe if i'm correct but
3: yeah i think a lot of people well, had yeah, it was part of a trade a but of hope. The, Grizz, the grizzlies made the pick but it was yeah it's the oh, way okay, the NBA's they, rules they, work yes <laughs> That the trade was made, it they knew, right. they made the yeah. pick,
0: but yeah, I knew he was. I knew the Pelicans were in it some way. I just I wasn't sure if they drafted him and then the Grizzlies shortly after traded for him or or what happened there. But I knew the Pelicans were in it some somewhere or not. But either way, I know you know starting at least this season, I know the fans in Memphis were expecting a bounce back season from him. You know, given so much hype he had coming out of Stanford, but. Yeah, time will tell. Uh, I'll give you a draft tomorrow night. Like I said, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, episode will be out Thursday night, prior a little bit prior to the draft. Um, any uh, you know juicy predictions you have for us, Eli, heading into the draft? I mean, outside it can be outside of the Grizzlies and, of course, outside Wambiyama. We all know he's going number one to the Spurs. But anything else uh, you think interesting might happen uh, t- tomorrow night?
3: You know, trying to predict the NBA draft is impossible. I, I think <laughs> it will be another night of a bunch of trades, um, which is normally what happens in the NBA draft. I think the Gri- i i would be surprised if the Grizzlies select at twenty-five. I, I think they will either trade That's- up or they'll trade down. Um, That's just again the, the track record of Zach Kleinman as GM. Um, I would be really surprised um, for them to draft at twenty-five. Um, again, where that goes, I don't know. But in, in the NBA, the draft, and, and this time of year, there's just so much smoke out there. Trying to decide what is real smoke and what is just a smoke screen is virtually impossible. I think Wim Benyama goes one. I think Brandon Miller goes two. I think Scoot Henderson goes three after that. I think you could see a lot of things happening. Um, and I wouldn't be shocked even if Scoot Henderson ends up going number two and that Charlotte has been kind of blowing a smoke screen. It, it, it's just hard to really tell with the NBA draft. I've, I've learned that a long time ago following these Grizzlies drafts that try to predict this thing's virtually impossible.
0: Yeah. 25th pick, which the Grizzlies have, like I said, and you said kind of no man's land in the, in the NBA draft. Um, Either want to be one of the top three, or it's kind of like after that, you said it's so hard to really, it's kind of like rolling the dice at that point, right? I mean, it's as you said, NBA draft is so hard to predict. You have players that go top three, top five that end up being bust, and then you have players that go number 41 overall, like Jokic, that (laughs) end up becoming the best players in the NBA. So it's just so hard to tell. I think even the executives and the scouts that do their job every single day would say the same exact thing, that it is sometimes just the roll of the dice. And it is kind of lucky in that regard, right? And I think with that being said is, do you like the NBA draft as someone who kind of you – know, I mean, obviously, Memphis basketball is huge and Memphis being you know one of the only pro sports really – uh, do you like the NBA draft, or do you not really like it because of that randomness factor to it, well, quote unquote randomness?
3: Uh, no, I mean it's 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 very entertaining um, because again all the moves that happen. Um, the what I hate the fact that they don't allow the trades to become officials. So a guy who gets picked, much like Zaire Williams, everybody that night knew the Grizzlies were technically drafting him, but he has to be announced as a New Orleans Pelican draft pick and go up there and put a New Orleans Pelicans hat on, even though he and everybody else knows he's never playing for the New Orleans Pelicans. Like, I, I yeah. wish it was more like the NFL draft where they actually announced the trades and told you who was picking the guy, but the way their calendar works, they, for whatever reason, refuse to do that. But the the, the amount of movement, the trade, the fact that it's only two rounds, um, I, I think the NBA and the fact that guys... I mean, having a chance to come in and make a huge impact because in basketball, man, it's it's one of five guys, and you get the right guy, you can you can completely change the fortune of your franchise. I mean, John Morant completely changed the Grizzlies organization for the foreseeable future. I mean, those those types of guys, those you know, Victor Wembanyama. I expect Victor Wembanyama to come in and be a dominant player right away, like that. It is a completely game-changing type thing, and so I I, I like the NBA draft a lot. Yeah, and
0: uh, the the last question I was going to ask, you know, leading off our, our interview, this has been really nice, uh, really great, Eli. Appreciate your time. You think uh, Wembiama is going to be good? Then you think
3: he's going to be what the, what their hype is all
0: about? What they're all saying about him?
3: Yeah, I I just don't see how he's not. I mean, he's a he's seven foot five, yeah. has the ability to shoot threes like it's nothing. Handle the basketball. Um, I don't know how you guard him. I, I just don't like you don't match up with a seven foot five guy who could play on the perimeter as smoothly as he does. I, you know, I, the Spurs are not good at all. Um, I don't know that he could come in and take them to the playoffs, but I think he comes in and is immediately a high level NBA player. Um, I'm, I'm as excited about him coming into the NBA as probably I've ever been around anybody, e- counting LeBron or anybody else. I, I just think this guy is an absolute freak of nature who I just, I cannot wait to watch play. And when you listen to him talk, how mature he is at 19 years old, like I, I just think this guy is a truly, as everybody says, he's a generational talent. I think he is truly a generational talent and I, I can't wait to see him in the NBA.
0: Yeah, I really don't know what <clears> the. <throat> excuse me, I don't know what to make of him. To be honest, I mean his. <clears throat> excuse me, his size really scares me. Uh, to be honest, um, I just think <clears throat> he's really lanky. I think he's going to get bullied in the NBA. His, I mean, he's going to be amazing on defense. That's for sure. Uh, no matter uh, what he can do on offense, just with the size he's going to be up against, uh, that's yet to be seen. But I think defensively, he's going to be amazing. I mean they're saying that he can basically guard the paint and the perimeter at the same exact time just because he can <laughs> you know jump out to the perimeter at any given second mm-hmm. and you know block a shot on the on the three from the paint just being how fast and lanky he is but the size definitely concerns me. I know, you know, you look at Chet Holmgren, not the same example, but still has not played a game for the Oklahoma City Thunder, didn't even make uh but didn't even make the preseason basically got injured uh uh, twisting his ankle against LeBron uh, before the training camps even started. But, yeah, I mean, it, it's yet to be seen. Like I said, I, I know it's not a popular take and not a popular opinion, but I'm actually more leaning towards the side of caution and concern with him. I think uh, if he he's going to be up against really big people, I think people that are much bigger than what he's seen in France. But, again, his defense, definitely I'm not concerned about. It's just the offense, and if he can you know, really – bully himself up against these bigger guys in the NBA to actually be productive on the boards on offense is where he's going to be needed the most, you know?
3: Yeah, I get, I, my thing is if if you guard him with a big guy, he takes you outside and he takes him off the dribble. If you guard him with a small guy, he takes you inside. I just don't know. I honestly, I don't know who guards him. Uh, I'll be interested to see how NBA teams go about trying to match up with somebody who's that big but that skilled with off the dribble and handling the basketball?
0: Real fast, 45th pick, uh, 56th pick um, <laughs> in the draft. I mean, those players – I mean, for the Grizzlies, I mean, they have the 40th, 45th and 56th. Players most likely will go to the G League. Um, you know, do you have any inclination about that? You want to, What you want to tell us real fast, the second-round picks? I mean, hey, it could be the next year, you never know, right? <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah just kind of exciting that, they, about those it. certainly are unpredictable yeah I mean, again they only have technically one roster spot available right now um anybody that they draft in the second round will probably right. be either an international player um that is not coming over a draft and stash type guy they'll or they'll trade out of those spots or if they do draft anybody it's probably to be a two-way player um and put them on the in, in the g league. Still awesome to
0: say that you got drafted by the NBA, though, no matter where you end up, G League or, yeah, you know, over. That's sport, right. It's still, it's still pretty awesome. So, well, Eli, this has been great. Um, we have to do this again sometime. Uh, reoccurring guest, you were back on one of the first episodes, I think, of the Continental Sports Podcast, and we'd love to have you on again. This has been great. Uh, we'd love to talk to you uh, with some Grizzlies basketball again, maybe, uh, you know, back, you know, maybe in like November or December when we get midway through the uh, NBA season there.
3: That sounds good, man. Appreciate it. No problem at all.
0: All right. Well, Eli Savori from uh, Memphis's 98.5 FM uh, WHBQ. Editor's note, a couple hours after our interview with Eli Savori, the news of the three-way trade between Memphis, Washington, and Boston broke, sending Marcus Smart to the Grizzlies. We brought back on Eli to give the initial reaction of the Memphis fans. Okay, we now bring back on Eli Savori. Um, Eli, uh, news broke out. A couple hours after our interview yesterday, Marcus Smart going to the Grizzlies, uh, trading Tyrese Jones and the twenty fifth overall pick as we thought would happen, but happened a little sooner than we thought <laughs> than we thought would happen. So, what's uh, the
3: initial reaction in uh, Memphis right now with this deal? Uh, I, for the most part, I, pretty much everybody um, is very excited about this deal. Uh, Marcus Smart. Uh, Checks a lot of boxes for what the Grizzlies are looking for. And uh, as I mentioned uh, yesterday, you know Tyus Jones was kind of the best trade piece that the Grizzlies had. And so um, he was likely to get dealt because he was the one thing of value. And um, I didn't expect it necessarily to be this quick. And and Marcus Smart may not be the, the kind of prime candidate that you would think of to replace Dylan Brooks on the wing, but... Um, Because of his defensive abilities and being able to guard bigger than his size, he ends up being a good fit. So now they've got a point guard who can play the first 25 games of the year when John Morant is out. Um, And then when Ja's back, they can start him on the wing, let him play alongside John Morant. Now you've got between Ja Morant, Marcus Smart, and Desmond Bain, three playmaking guards who can also – You'll get their own shots. And Marcus Smart, while his shooting numbers are pretty similar to Dylan Brooks' career numbers, his playoff numbers, every single year he has shot it better and scored better in the postseason. He is a guy who really steps up in the postseason, um, and he's been through a lot of big games, veteran leadership, and the defensive ability. Now the Grizzlies have the last two defensive players of the year on their roster.
0: You mentioned it a little bit ago uh, about Marcus Smart kind of not really being a good replacement for Dylan Brooks, but I mean, offensively he is, but not on the defensive side, correct? I mean, I think that's really the the, the biggest concern right now is the defensive side. That Dylan Brooks was definitely a much better defender than Marcus Smart was, correct?
3: And is well, I I just think that he he's bigger, but I I mean, Marcus Smart again was the defensive player of the year two years ago in the league, so. Uh, Marcus Smart, you know, it, it looks weird when you're talking six three, six three, six five as basically your three starting, uh, your point guard and your two wings, uh, whereas Dylan was six seven, but Marcus Smart, because of his strength, he constantly guards guys who are bigger than him. So I don't think it's a problem for Marcus Smart to guard three. So. Um, I, I think on the defensive end, you know, if you do face some big wings, it could cause some problems at times, but you've got other guys you could put in there in those if, if needed. Um, but I, yeah, I, I think Marcus Smart is just fine on the defensive end. And to have the last two, def- one defensive player of the year on the perimeter and this past year's defensive player of the year inside and Jaron Jackson Jr., that's a pretty good combination.
0: Does this really kind of emphasize a win now mentality for the, for the Grizzlies though, this trade. I mean, they gave up obviously this year's pick. And then I think next year's uh, first overall pick as
3: well. Correct. They gave up their pick this year. They gave, they had uh, the golden state first round pick next year. Uh, so that's the trade the the, the, the uh, draft pick for next year that they traded. Cause NBA rules don't even allow you to trade your first-round pick in back-to-back years, so they wouldn't be able to trade theirs, but they've had that Golden State pick for a few years. And, yeah, I mean, this is a team that even though Morant and Jackson and Bain and all these guys are extremely young, they feel they're in a position where they can win right now. And so, um, you know, one of the things they have lacked is veteran leadership, Um, and and Marcus Smart coming in, I think, brings that. I I think Marcus Smart is a guy – um, who has no problem speaking up. If some of the young guys, he doesn't like the way guys are playing and things like that. I think Marcus Smart will step up. Uh, and he and Steven Adams now, I think really could become uh, leaders in that locker room um, to kind of keep people, you know, focused on what they're trying to do and things like that. So I I think that's another big part of getting Marcus Smart is that just veteran leadership and a guy who's obviously played in the NBA finals and been in many, many huge playoff games.
0: This is kind of one of those trades where no team really seemed to lose in the trade. No, Either the Celtics Wizards or the, the Grizzlies. Do you kind of agree with that?
3: Yeah, I think this was a win for everybody. Um, the Celtics getting Porzingis, um, who they wanted. I you know, I don't think they necessarily wanted to part with Marcus Smart, but to get Porzingis, uh, they had to do that. Uh, the Wizards, obviously, are in a complete rebuild, although they get a veteran guy like a Tyus Jones who could come in there and be a stabilizing force. And now they're adding Jordan Poole as well. So they've got a couple of guys in that backcourt. So, yeah, I think everybody kind of comes out of this in a good position the grizzlies didn't necessarily need to make another first round draft pick and add another young guy uh so they don't have to worry about that tonight so yeah i i think it every for everybody it works out extremely well
0: but yeah it's interesting to see um grizzlies keeping it interesting wizards and grizzlies prior to uh draft night but but yeah uh eli we really appreciate it and then we'll have you on again we we appreciate you wrapping this all up for us All right, we'll finish the show with another new segment, uh, intakes and outtakes. Who gave good takes this week and who gave bad takes? Zach, we'll start with you. Who is your intakes and outtakes of the week?
2: Uh, We could kind of split it as far as both good and bad takes. J.J. Reddick earlier today read the worst takes handed out by basketball analysts this year. So you could call that a good take or a bad take, whatever. But he read his own bad takes. He read bad takes from Stephen A. Smith. You know, when Stephen A. said Nikola Jokic doesn't have a post-up move. Or, you know, Kawhi Leonard should be forced into retirement. Or J.J. Reddick calling himself out for uh, comparing people to Bob Cousy back in the day. You know, Chris Russo and him get into that a lot so jj reddick reading the worst takes in basketball this year i think fits that bill and as far as an actual good take um i i think my good take for this week is going to be uh Jay billis because he said that victor wambiyama as great as he is he needs to bulk up he's going to be a guy that at this stage if he does not gain a little more muscle he's injury prone and what have we seen for a lot of big guys over the years from Sam Bowie to Greg Oden to countless others if those guys uh, th- some of those guys get banged up pretty easily they've got bad knees taller get people tend to have knee problems earlier in their career so he's got to bulk up a little bit and he's got to develop a game that isn't just reliant on his athleticism I think he can do that and he also said Wembe as great as he is the hype around Wembyama this year does not compare to LeBron in 2003. And I think that is the perfect case of recency bias that people want to put out there where we live in a microwave society where the last thing that happened is the best thing that's ever happened. And I think Jay Billis did a great job calling Wembyama a great prospect and Saying that he's got the potential to be one of the best players in the league, but also not going too far and saying he's one of the that he's the best prospect ever, and people like Chris Broussard saying if he's Kevin Durant or Akiva Olajuwon, he'd be a disappointment. As though Kevin Durant and Akiva Olajuwon aren't two of the top fifteen players of all time.
0: Yeah, it's a good good point because it's kind of the his body is kind of the reason why his hype was not as big as LeBron. I mean, LeBron's yeah, LeBron was NBA ready in high school. Almost pretty much <laughs> for the most <laughs> Maybe part. Maybe eighth grade. Yeah, I mean that's that's really the that's the difference, though. I mean that's why I think Wembyama is as good as he is, and he's going to be defensive ready right yes. from the day. I mean day one. I, mean, I don't think offensively wise, I think he's going to be pushed around a lot, and he's going to get manhandled a lot. Like I mean, we've heard people say countless times, like you're going to you're going to see a lot of Instagram reels about him being just completely manhandled in the NBA. Uh, he's definitely going to get you know put on put on blast on social media, of course. But defensively wise, like I said, he's going to be ready from day one. But yeah, I mean that's a good point uh, Jay Billis said. I mean it, it, that really is the biggest difference between him and LeBron. LeBron was just so ready day one, just body wise. And uh, Wembyama is that his size is actually what does scare me about him. As far as I mean, I don't think he's not going to be a bust by any means, but he needs to stay healthy, and I I really am concerned that he's going to get hurt. And it's almost just with his frame and what we've seen in the past, it's almost a guarantee that he's going to get hurt at some point, and you don't want to see that. But I mean, even look at Chet Holmgren last season i mean he didn't even play as he didn't play a game yet no kind of i mean not not the same bill but similar you know
2: yeah who's the greatest player ever like as far as tall guys are concerned i guess i think seven two is probably the tallest all-time great player somebody like chamberlain or kareem like you never hear of seven four seven five seven six guys being all-time great it's like yao ming Mm -hmm. is seven foot six he's a freak of nature but yao ming is another guy classic case of the knees and his body just flat out betrayed him and guys of that height you're just not supposed to be that tall your body does not respond that way so i think there's legit skepticism because Mm
0: -hmm. like we've
2: said how many all-time great players are taller than i don't know six ten like you have your seven footers but those guys are even like seven foot seven foot one people like Shaq, kareem all those great players you don't hear the seven four guys being just absolutely dominant. Like there's a reason Taco Fall isn't the most dominant player in the NBA today.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yao Ming was just completely different. I mean, Shaq was probably up there, but he's not different frame though. I mean, I think you're alluding to more of the skinny or tall guys. I mean, I, yes, yeah. I mean, Kevin Durant, I think has a lot of health issues as well. I mean, he's missed a lot of time due to health issues. I think people would still have drafted him really high just because of what he is able to contribute when he is on the floor, but even him, like he's had health issues as well. He's kind of the same, similar build, anyhow. Very lanky, very, uh, you know, small frame. But, but yeah, it's it's a. I don't want to. It's a hot take. I'm not. I'm definitely not going to say when Biama is going to be, you know, a bust. But he has potential to really flame out due to injury. Like he has potential, you know, come two years from now for teams really to be scared taking him because he just he's missed half the games. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Come two years from now, leading into like the what? What would that be like? Twenty twenty-five season, where teams really are just afraid to take him because he's missed half the games (laughs) that he's been on a team.
2: That's an unpopular opinion that, that I have is that I don't consider guys that are injury prone to be busts because that's not necessarily their fault. Like someone like mm-hmm. Greg Oden, I don't consider him to be a bust even though he's <laughs> like the head of Kevin Durant because Greg Oden, his body just didn't allow him to be what he could have been. And when he played, he was averaging 2015 re- points, 15 rebounds and showing you what he could do. His body just wouldn't let him do it. I think Wembyama is bust proof. I don't think he's going to be a bust. He, if he gets hurt, then that'll derail his career. But I think his game, his skill set, I think it's too good for him not to be one of the best players in the league. But I'm not going to go so far as to say that he's going to be a top five player in the league by year two. I I think that's a little bit bit asking too much at this point. I don't think Wimbledon is going to be a bust, though. I think he's going to be, within five years, we'll be looking at him at the bare minimum as like a top seven, eight player. And that's if things don't go perfectly well.
0: Yeah. Uh, any surprise like sleepers in the second round? I'd probably definitely don't. I don't want to put you on the spot. Probably not. I mean, I definitely don't. <laughs> but just think, uh, if you want to get off a take, think, if you wanted to.
2: Yeah, not a second rounder, but maybe. Yeah. Late lottery, late first round-ish. Bryce Sensible from Ohio State, he's a big-time scorer. Uh, Full disclosure, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I've watched pretty (laughs) much all of his games. But he's a kind of guy that thrives in the modern version of the NBA. Now, his defense needs a lot of work because he's basically a traffic cone defensively, lets everybody go by him. But as far as the offensive side of the ball, he can shoot it from anywhere on the floor. He can get to the basket, very good free-throw shooter, better three-point shooter than you might think. He's going to be a guy that comes in and averages about – 19 20 points a game at worst and he's going to get better i would assume on the defensive side of the ball he's got enough bulk that he can be good defensively so watch out for a guy like bryce sensible all
0: right my intake of the week not the greatest uh only because pretty much we already said it before but i'm going to go with our guest this week eli savori uh he called that tyrese jones and the 25th overall pick would be traded uh prior to the draft and then literally two hours later it happened so I mean, yeah, I was. You'll hear it in the interview. Uh, we have, like I said, I'll, I'll we we well, you did, you did you just heard it in the interview. We uh had him on Wednesday and then had to bring him back on today, Thursday, at the time of this recording, just to kind of go over the the trade uh, initial trade uh reaction in Memphis uh to what happened with Marcus Smart. But yeah, he uh he said that Tyrese Jones would be a really appetizing trade prospect, probably the most appetizing appetizing trade prospect uh on Memphis's team, you know, that was actually tradable for that matter. And he also said that the Grizzlies were also not going to use a 25th overall pick. They were either going to trade down or trade up. But overall, he did not see that uh, pick actually happening in the first round uh, tonight. So, yeah, I'm going to go with our guest, Eli Savori. called that out. Then it happened to uh, like literally two hours later, if not even less. So, yeah, good for him. Outtake of the week: uh, All the people that were saying that the Boston Celtics would have beaten the Nuggets in the finals—just, um, I'm tired of hearing it. Just shut up, stop saying it. Um, Jokic, just amazing. Another stat I don't even think we've said yet. I haven't even heard this stat yet before I read it today. Uh, first player ever to record 500 points, 250 rebounds, and 150 assists in a single postseason. Um, Celtics struggled against Miami. Um, that could not put up 100 points five of the last eight games of the season. Uh, the Jokic, Murray, Duro would have eaten them alive on offense. I mean, Celtics, they struggled against Duncan Robinson cutting, and that wasn't even without a – that was without even a 100% Tyler Hero. Can you imagine what Jokic would have done when you combine his vision and elusiveness not only to one player but four of that? Aaron Gordon, Christian Braun, Jeff Green, and Bruce Brown for the Nuggets. I mean, Nuggets were turning the ball over all the time. I think uh, – i am excuse me, the Celtics were turning the ball over all the time. Uh, Nuggets, I think, had one game where they turned the ball over 15 times and even that game they won. So this whole take where like the, the Celtics would have beat the Nuggets definitely would not have happened. And I think the Nuggets were just too consistent all season long. And the Celtics were probably one of the most inconsistent teams in the playoffs. So Nuggets definitely would have won. And it might even have still happened in five like it did uh, with the Heat. But yeah, uh, good show, guys. Um, That's the show. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. And until next week, we will hear from you again. But until then, keep on traveling.